0: Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this new day. We thank you as we continue to study your word, the book of James, the first book of the New Testament. And Father, we we do pray that uh, you would open our hearts and minds to the word today. You would fill us with the Holy Spirit. And I do pray for those that are sitting here this morning that have not truly surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, that today would be the day. And I also challenge all those that are saved that they would also be called a deeper walk with Jesus, a deeper committed life to Jesus, a more surrendered life to Jesus. I pray that for all of us here in this church, Lord, we all need to to be saved and we all need to be sanctified. So Lord, we submit this time to you in the precious name of Jesus Christ, amen. So for those that are very detail-oriented, we've added another item to our, to our, a outline here, because we, Tyler and I were led to break the scripture up a little bit more here. So today we're going to be talking about, as your Bolton says, a call to salvation. A call to salvation is James 4, 7 through 10, and I would also add a call to sanctification. So it's beautiful, I want you to see this, is everybody with me? Could you turn me down just a tad, Steve thinks, I don't want to yell at you, not yet, but so I want you to see this, this process here, is that, so in the Word of God, they've been working through all these self-examining questions that we've been looking at, right? We've been looking at all these self-examining questions about trials and temptation and the Word of God and so on, and then God stops the flow right here, and he makes one of the clearest proclamations of the gospel in all of Scripture. So he's saying that as we've been working through this list, some people in the church are being convicted— and they realize that they need to be saved. So he stops the process of self-examining, and he comes at us with a clear proclamation of the gospel. Isn't that awesome? It's awesome. So the reality is, is when James got to the early church, they didn't spend 15 weeks doing exegetical work like we are. They read the letter, right? So I'm going to get us in the flow a little bit of these questions that we've been working through, just summarizing them, and then we'll jump into the gospel. Is that Okay. You sure? All right. Okay. So, so the first one was the saving faith in trials. So the question is, how did you do when you we went through the teaching on trials? Have you found that you approach trials different than you did before you were a Christian? Do, do you count it all joy as different trials are brought into your life? Have you have you? How about this one? Have you seen the miraculous work God does in trials in refining us to make us more like Jesus? If you say amen, beautiful. It's an indication that you're saved. If you're sitting here and saying, you know, not really. I still find myself grumbling and complaining. I I don't really understand trials. I'm more like God, why me? Then that's an indication that you may not be saved. How are you doing with your saving faith and temptations? We are all slaves to sin, amen? We are all slaves to sin, but how are you doing now? Do you have victory over some of your temptations? Have you, have you been able to overcome some of the things that used to control your life? Have you able to say no to Satan now where he used to have total power and control over your life? Or do you find yourself still just, just a victim to this world and Satan's power? And the third one was uh, uh, saving faith in the Word of God. How how is that with you right now? I mean, do you love the word of God? Do you hunger and thirst for the word of God? Or is it like dirty dishes in the sink at the end of the night, you just got to get that chore over with and you do it grudgingly, but you say, Okay, boom, I I got that done. I was in the Word for a little while today. That's an indication of whether we're saved or not. And the fourth one is is saving faith and how we view others. Do you love your brothers and sisters? Do, do, do you do you see them better than you are in certain ways? Are you or are you still in that worldliness? The worldliness is this: we're always looking at how to get over someone, to step over, step on them, to elevate self. That's the way of the world. If you're still looking at others and how you think you're better than them, then you should examine yourself. You're probably not saved. And then saving faith and works. We had fun on Wednesday night going over this. You know what. It, so in your life, what kind of fruit do you have? Is there fruit in your life? Do you have a basket of fruit sitting on your dining room table of all the things God has done in you and through you for the kingdom? Have you, have you, have you, have you as you sit here this morning and think back over this last week, God used you to pray with someone. God used you to sit, share the gospel with someone. God used you to encourage someone. You just, you just see as you look back over your week that God has used you powerfully in in this fallen world. Or do you look at your basket of fruit and it's all full of worldliness? I got a new job promotion. I got a little more money in the bank. I've got this. I've got that. That's worldly fruit that will all burn away. That's an indication if we're saved or not. Amen? Is everybody still with me? So works and then saving faith in my words. Saving faith in wisdom. Saving faith in the world. Those were all things we spent time examining ourselves. I'll touch on one and we'll jump into the text for today. So are you leaning on worldly wisdom or godly wisdom? Godly wisdom, amen. And, And words, how are your words? Are your words edifying? Are they the words of God? Are they truth? Are they encouraging? Or are you still making coarse jokes and... Uh, criticizing people and insulting people to elevate self. Where are your words at? So we get through all this, and then he stops right here after he gets through this whole list of self-examining questions, and he presents the gospel, which is what we're going to look at today. Isn't that exciting? And I'm telling you, this is, if not the clearest, one of the clearest presentations of the gospel in the entire Bible that we get to look at today. You should get excited about that. All right. So, if you would open your Bibles to that text, James four seven through ten, and our brother Demetrius will open the Word for us. Please stand for the reverence of God's Word. He's already being put to work. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, I'm reading James chapter four verses seven through ten. Uh, This is God's Word. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. So let me just ask that question again based on that list of self-examining questions. Were you convicted by those? Maybe some of you actually rebelled against them. You said, hey, this, this can't be true for me. And you're actually judging the Word of God. Or, or perhaps there's fear. You've heard the, you've heard the gospel before. You've heard these self-examining questions, but you're afraid of what life is going to be like once you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. That's true for a lot of people. So, so the reality is, if you're there, praise God because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. So let's work through this beautiful teaching on on the uh, on the gospel. So he starts off here. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. See, when one desires to be saved, they must willingly submit their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Submit fully, not partially. It's not Jesus plus. It's a full-out surrender to Jesus as the authority of your life. And the picture here is that we put our, our life into the loving, sovereign hands of God, and what we have to do, brothers and sisters, is we have to get off the throne of our own lives. Are you with me on this? You know, we, we were born on our own thrones. We believe the same lie that Adam and Eve did, that eat of this and you'll be like God's. So we, we have been sitting on our thrones under the authority of Who? Satan, under the authority of Satan, either our father is Satan or the father is Jesus, God the Father, is Jesus Christ. So, so we were born on our own thrones, and the point of submitting your life to Christ is you need to get off your throne and let Jesus be the Lord of your life. He needs to sit on your throne. He needs to rule your life. He needs to guide your life. Are you on the throne? It's not Jesus plus, it's completely surrendering your life to Jesus. Let me add one other thing about sanctification, is most of the time when people come to me and they're having some life challenges, marriages, or problems in their life, when we dig deep, guess what's happened? They've gotten back on the throne of their life. So this isn't true just for salvation, to get off the throne of your life, but that is the first step to salvation But it is also the required daily step. Deny self daily. Pick up your cross and follow Jesus. We have to continually get off the throne because we tend to just kind of wander by and sit down. So so that's what he's talking about. He's crying out to this church. He goes, submit yourselves therefore to the Lord. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And then it says, then then we know this. then, Then we choose to believe in the Lord. We choose to believe the word of God. And I know so many of you have been through this process. And so when we first surrender, we're babies again. And and so we come under the word of God. And one truth after the other as God reveals them to us. They challenge us and we must choose to believe and obey. One truth after the other. That is submission to the Lord. You know, some truths that come at us, we kind of say, well, I don't don't really see where this is going. I I don't understand, God, why you're commanding me to do this or be this. But we choose to believe and obey and submit to the Lord. One truth after the other. And then many years as we walk with the Lord, we get to a place where we have fortresses of truth within us where where we can live the life that God calls us to. Are you with me on this? That's the, the process of submitting and surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ. And I love how the Lord does it. He does it so gently and patiently, doesn't he? He's so patient with us. Could you imagine if God poured all the truth out on you the moment you were saved? we would probably drop dead of a heart attack. But he patiently walks with us day after day, week after week, year after year, making us into the men and women of God that he wants us to be. That's a submitted life. So I would say that we we submit our lives at salvation and we are submitting our lives to God daily in sanctification. Let me ask you this question. For some people it's this, fear of what's going to be like when they enter the narrow gate. Has anybody gone through that? You don't know what life's going to be like when you surrender your life to Jesus. Nobody? Some of you? So, I had that fear. I'll confess I did. I didn't know what my life was going to be like once I surrendered. I was 32 years old. I didn't know what the new life was going to be like. But it's called irresistible grace, right? It's 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 irres- I I had no choice. I loved God. I hated my life and I and I and I, I had some fear, but I faced my fear and entered the narrow gate surrendered my life to Jesus, right? Is there anybody here that's ever regretted making that decision? Raise your hand if you regret so we can talk after. No, Okay, nobody regrets ever making that decision. Yeah, there you go. I love that, Steamer. Just regretted it took this long to get there. I would say that a lot of us uh, have that kind of regret. But God saved you exactly the right time. Yep. Yeah. So this is the first thing, is submitting our life to Jesus. That's, that's the gospel. And the second thing, what does it say here? You following with me? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Do you see that? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So first, we we embrace the gospel, we submit our life into the loving, sovereign hands of God, but then we have to say no to our old master. By the way, let me just clear up a lie that some people believe. We do not bind Satan. Just so you know that. We have no power to bind Satan. Did Jesus bind Satan in the wilderness when he was tempted? No, he resisted Satan and rebuked him through the word of God. That scripture is taken out of context. We do not bind Satan. That's not how we live the victorious life. We don't have the power to bind Satan. But we do have the power to what? Resist Satan, and then he will flee. So. It's victory, but you don't get victory by binding Satan. You get victory by resisting Satan, as Jesus gave us the perfect example in the wilderness. Is anybody upset with that? You're holding on to that truth about, are you binding him still? Don't bind him. You can't bind him, but you can resist him. Now, to me, this picture is, I'm sure all of us, let's get personal here a little bit. All of us have been in bad relationships, amen? Amen. And we had to break off those relationships at some point. Or maybe they had to break up with us. I'm not sure how it went. Maybe both ways. But we know it. We break up that relationship sometimes. And uh, the other person isn't willing to receive that message. Are you with me on this? They keep pursuing. They don't take no for an answer. Are you with me on this? And, and, and that is a picture of our relationship with Satan. He is no longer our master. And what makes it worse, it is the most abusive relationship anybody's ever been in. Satan is an abusive lord. He's an abusive relationship, abusive master. See, he comes to us like an abusive relationship in the world, and he promises us happiness and joy and good things and good times, right? Just like the worldly relationships do. But then he he turns on us. And we we see the real motivation is all selfishness. He wants to hurt us. He wants to deceive us. He wants to manipulate us. He wants to lead us to death. That is Satan. And why it's an abusive relationship, because we've all been there. We said, you know what, Satan? I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I'm I'm not going down that sinful path anymore in my life. And what does he do? He comes back and says, oh, it'll be different this time. I'm going to be, you know, hey here's some flowers. It's going to be so much better this time. Come on, just have a drink. Go ahead and eat that. Smoke that. Whatever it is. And what happens? Same thing. Right back into bondage. He may give us the pleasures of sin for a little while, like an abusive relationship, but it'll be fun for a little bit. But he's eventually going to lead us back into deep slavery and typically it's worse than the time before we were into that slavery. So that is the, but, but now the good news is, brothers and sisters, is that we, we no longer have to submit to him. It's a wonderful thing. If you're sitting here and you're born again, he no longer has power over you. He no longer has authority over you. He no longer has control over you. But here's, here's a picture of how that relationship is for a lot of us. Let's say someone was in the military for 20 years under a commanding officer. Are you picturing this? And so for 20 years, it was sir, yes, sir. Right? Do this, sir, yes, sir. And throughout 20 years of that, under his commanding officer... He was very well trained in saying, sir, yes, sir, and obeying the orders of his commanding officer. But then he leaves the military, and he runs into his commanding officer. Are you with me on this? And the commanding officer tells him something to do. His first response is, sir, yes, sir. And then it hits him. I'm no longer under your authority. I don't have to say, sir, yes, sir, anymore. And that's exactly how we are with Satan. A lot of times we say, sir, yes, sir, and we have to catch ourselves to realize, hey, wait a minute. He's pulling on my flesh. He's desiring me to do something that I know I shouldn't do. He's, he's, he's leading me into a, 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 a anger. He's leading me into a place I don't want to go. And we can stop and resist the devil, and if we resist the devil, he will flee. So, so what are the tools we have, brothers and sisters, right now to, to resist the devil? What are the weapons we have? Anybody? Word of God. Prayer. What's that? Fasting. Good. Okay, word of God, prayer, fasting, the body of Christ, the body. We need to help each other, right? We're here to help each other resist the devil so he would flee. I love what our brother Ed said. This is a family. We help each other overcome. And that's why we've got to bring it into light. Together, we have to share with you, hey, listen, I'm under a lot of temptation right now. I need your prayer. Don't try to do it alone. You won't, you won't survive. So, so we have the Word of God. We have prayer. We have fasting. Uh, we, we have the, the body of Christ. All these things to help us overcome uh, the, Satan's attacks on our lives. And is it easy? Are we always victorious? No. But the good news is, is, is we, we have to just stay in the fight, stay in the fight. And what's amazing is that we overcome, we overcome, and pretty soon, you know, there's things that I used to fall into that I don't fall into anymore. How about you? There's areas in your life where you just don't give in anymore. Now, he's going to keep scheming and planning all of our lives. We're never going to be done with it till we get to glory. But we do have victory, and we rest on those victories. We see how God empowered us to resist the devil, and, and then we have victory. And then we keep fighting together until we get to glory. So this is the gospel. I would say, have you submitted your life to Jesus Christ? Or are you still sitting on your throne? Have you truly resisted the devil, or is he still the master in your life? And then the third truth here it says draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is so wonderful. This is so beautiful. That the God of the universe desires an intimate relationship with you. That blows me away. The all-powerful, the all-knowing God who needs nothing from me, nothing from you, he desires an intimate relationship with you. He wants to walk with you like he did at Adam and Eve in the garden every day. He wants to whisper into your life. He wants to help open the eternal living word of God to you. He wants to answer prayers. He wants to protect you from Satan and, and, and harm. He wants, to, he wants to be with you all, in all of your life. That's the kind of God we serve. He said, so, so submit your life to Jesus. Get off your throne. Start resisting the devil, and he will flee. And draw near to me, and I will draw near to you beautiful. Look, this is just another scripture here from probably a verse you all know, but it's a beautiful picture of this drawing near to God. It says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? That's a, a beautiful picture of one that wants to draw near to God. And let me also add this, brothers and sisters. It is only in this intimate relationship with G- Jesus that we will find fulfillment in our lives. The world will never satisfy. If you're sitting here and you're afraid to enter that narrow gate, you're afraid to su- submit your life to Jesus, you're afraid to start resisting the devil, you will never have a fulfilling life. I would also say you will never understand, unless you enter an intimate relationship with Jesus, what true love, joy, and peace is. You will never experience that apart from Christ. You can, you can experience the counterfeits of the world of love, joy, and peace, but you will never experience the fullness that you can experience unless you're in intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And let me give you one more truth. It is only in the intimate relationship that we come to know God, we come to know who we are, and we come to know why we're here. That's why it's a fulfillment relationship. Unless you come in intimacy with God, you will never really truly know God. You will never know who you are because only the creator can open up to reveal to you who you are in the depths of how he created you. And until you know those two things, you'll never know why you're here. You can go and play in the world like a, a rat in a, in, a, in a maze, but you, you'll never, and you might accomplish some things in the world, but you'll never truly accomplish significance as God intended for you. It only comes through intimacy. Intimacy. You know, to me, this, the Bible often, and Pastor Tyler talked about this last week, but the Bible often talks about marriage, right? Who's the bride of Christ? The the church is. Right. Amen. So the church is the bride of Christ, and Jesus is the groom. And here's this picture to me, these three things we just went over is a picture of a marital relationship. The first thing that happens is a couple falls in love, Right? And is, they, they submit their lives before the Lord to one another until death do they part. They submit, right, that I'm with you forever. I'm before God. And the second thing we have to do, right, is maybe say goodbye to some people, some, some people that still have your phone number. We have to say goodbye to the old relationships in our life. And then the third thing, if the marriage is going to be successful, is we need to draw close to one another. After 33 years of marriage, Mary and I still have a date night every Friday night. Every morning, she gets a cup of tea, I get a cup of coffee, and we talk. Why do we do that? Because we need to stay intimate. We need to draw near to one another to, to, to live this life that God called us to. And when are we done? When we get to glory. Glory. So, so that's a picture here of these three things, I think, of, of, of what it's like to, to, to enter in the relationship with God, is to submit your life, to resist the devil, and then to draw near to God. Now, you ready for this? Now it gets a little intense. To me, I don't know what's going on here in the church, the early church. But it says, James presents this thing. Oh, here, here's how you get saved. You submit to God. You resist the devil, and he will flee. You draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. And everybody in the church goes, Amen. Amen. And he goes, Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double minded. He goes, I'm not believing this amen stuff. I don't think you're really surrendered. See, he, he takes a bucket of cold water and just throws it in their face. Say, Come on. I'm not seeing this life. You're amen in me, but you're not really surrendered. So it's a call to repentance. It's a call, come on, quit playing church. I mean, don't you find this a harsh statement after what he just said? This is a wake up call. He doesn't want anybody to be deceived, he wants everybody to come to salvation. And so what does this mean? What does cleanse your hands mean? Cleanse your hands means get rid of the external sinful patterns of your life. It's the external stuff you're doing. He said, stop that. Turn from that. I made a little list. or so many we could do, but I... Fits of anger, grumbling and complaining, bragging and one-upping, always talking about yourself, critical and slandering others, love of the things of the world and the pleasure of the world, drunkenness, pornography, sexual immorality... And and on and on the list goes. He says, stop that. Turn from that. You sinners. You have some secret sins going on in your lives? And then he gets to the more important one. He goes, and what? What does it say next? And what? Purify your hearts. See, he goes, this is more important. He goes, it's one thing to cut these things out of your life. But unless you purify your hearts, it's not going to work. You know what you're doing then? You're white knuckling. Okay, I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm never going to have a drink. I'm going to go to AA every day, and I'm just never going to go back and have... He says, you don't need to do that. I'm going to give you a new heart. You're not an alcoholic. You become a child of God, and I will set you free. So he says, purify your hearts. You need a new heart. Yeah, here's the the thing, brother and sister. It's it's what is the motivation for the external sinfulness? What is the lie we're believing in our hearts? Are we coming to drink because we want peace? We think that drinking will bring peace? Are we just trying to medicate ourselves to escape from our worries? Are we angry because we're jealous and we're coveting things of the world? Are we grumbling, complaining because we have this issue of our own rights where we don't think the world is fair? What, what is the lie that's living in our hearts that's driving this external behavior? That's what God, God's a heart surgeon. So he says, I want to help you. I want to reveal to you what's going on in your heart so you can be set free, not just so you go to AA the rest of your life, but so that you can truly be set free from this controlling lie that's living in your heart. It's wonderful, isn't it? This is the gospel. This is the gospel. And he says, you double-minded. What he's saying is that I see clearly that, that you think it's God plus. God is a jealous God. You can't be double-minded. You can't love the world and love God. You can't love your sin and love God. It's not acceptable. You have to be all in, or you're not in at all. So he calls them double-minded. Look at this. This is another, we're almost done here. Look at this text here. This kind of paints the picture of everything we're talking about of Ezekiel. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from your impurities and from all your idols. He says, what is that? Cleanse your hands. I, I, I want to help you overcome all your sinful behaviors. Okay? So let, let, we'll get those done with you. We'll wash you. You'll be, you'll be clean. You'll be forgiven by God he says, I will give you a new heart, put a new new spirit in you. I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Anybody that's truly born again here this morning knows this is true. Do you have a heart of flesh? You, do you remember your heart of stone? Hard, selfish, self-focused. He gives us a heart of flesh. We're able to love God. We're able to love one another We're no longer judging one another. We just, we love each other. We see how we're better than one another. That's a heart of flesh. It's a beautiful thing. I love you all. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Steamer and Bobby love me at least. I appreciate that. (laughs) But I do. I love you. But I I only love you because Christ gave me a new heart. I could never have loved you in, in Keith, I was too self focused. But he gave me a heart of flesh. I love you. I want the best for every one of you. And that's only because of him. So he he wants to give us a heart. And then look what else it says here. He goes a little further. He says, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Isn't that wonderful? So not only will I save you, free you from your sins, and give you a new heart, then I'm going to put the Holy Spirit to live within you, and he will guide you in the word of God so you can live a victorious life in every area of your life. That is just awesome. That's God. And then he, just this last part of this verse here, he says, be, be wretched to mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. It sounds like God just wants us to be miserable. Todd's <laughs> like that. So does God want us to be miserable? No, of course he doesn't want to be. But what is he doing? He wants us to repent. He wants us to, he wants us to stop and see our own sinful. Don't be fooling yourself. He you said he wants us to see our sinfulness so that we can repent and turn to God. And then what happens? Then we experience true joy. See, these people are laughing. They're laughing at the world. They're engaging the world. They're laughing at inappropriate jokes. They're, they're just going along with the world's ways. And he says, stop that. Grow up. Get serious about this. And then we enter real love, real joy, and real peace. So that's what he's talking about there. And then the last verse here is, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. That's really what he's, he's crying out to all the people in the early church, and I'm going to cry it out to you as well through the word of God is, He says, humble yourself, submit your lives to God. Stop resisting the burdens of your heart as God's burdening you that you've not been born again. He said, surrender your lives to God, get off the throne of your life and put your life into the loving, sovereign hands of God. Say no to Satan, your old master. You've got the word of God, you've got prayer, you've got the Holy Spirit living within you who is greater than the one that is in the world. You've got Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, the Father interceding for you. You've got the body of Christ, and as our brother brought up, you've got the spiritual disciplines of fasting and meditation and lots of things to help you overcome the attacks of the evil one. And then draw near to God. Begin a life of intimacy with God, his word and prayer and fellowship. And brother, that's, that's a serious call. It's not 15 minutes in the morning. It's, it's get up and, and be praying and get into the word of God for extended periods of time and let the word speak to you by the spirit that lives within you. And then as you go off onto your life, uh, your day, and maybe you're at work, take your lunchtime. Get away somewhere private. Pull a verse out of your pocket. Pull your Bible out. Spend a little more time with God, praying and talking to him. When you get home from work, take a few minutes to get along with God again, just kind of reviewing your day and talking to him about it. Praying and talking. And then before you go to bed, make sure you go to bed with the scripture on your mind. Read a psalm or a, a section of scripture. That's what it means to draw near to God. It's it's an immersion of being with God. You you can't compartmentalize, here's my God time, this is my world time, and then this is my God time. And it takes takes discipline to continually be immersed in this uh, reality of living in the presence of Jesus. And for some of us here, you know, we need to cleanse our hands and purify our hearts. I wouldn't say some of us, I would say all of us. For salvation and sanctification, we always are repenting, purifying our hearts. Satan's an idol uh, factory, and he builds them into our hearts and lives. Is everybody good with this? So if you're being convicted, today's the day to surrender your life to Jesus. Don't wait. Do not wait. Let me close with this verse. This, by the way, this verse is above the center. Have you ever been to the front door of our center? This is on the sign above the center. We don't normally go in that door, so we probably don't see that sign too often, but that's been up there for 12 years. And it says, "'Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened.'" This is Jesus speaking, obviously, "'And I will give you rest. "'Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, "'for I am gentle and humble in heart, "'and you will find rest for your souls.'" Are you weary? Are you heavy burdened? Do you want to find rest for your souls? It's only found in Jesus. I confess that when I got saved, I was weary. I was more than weary, I was exhausted. The world never satisfied. I could not find peace. Is that true for you? I found temporary happiness in the world and temporary happiness, but it didn't last. It always left me empty. And I needed rest. I needed truth. I needed help. Only God This is this true for you? You you're tired? You tired of believing the lies? Trying to figure this out on your own? You got a plan? You got another plan? You got another plan? Stop resisting God. He will give you rest for your soul as only He can. Some of you may be thinking, you know what? I'm too dirty. You don't know what I've done. God could never forgive me for what I've done. Maybe you say, well, you don't know that this temptation that lives in me is just too powerful. I don't think God can deliver me from this temptation. Let me just tell you, the power of the gospel is greater than all the sins of the world and all of your sins. The power of the gospel is is greater than all of your temptations. The power of the gospel is greater than all the flesh that lives within you that keeps crying out to be satisfied. And the power of the gospel is greater than the deceptions of the pleasures of the world. There's nothing God can't redeem through the gospel. And he wants to redeem all of us through Jesus Christ. Yeah, amen, Steamer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel. I cry out to you and praise you for every soul that is in this church that is already saved. What a blessing, Lord, as we sit here and just hear the gospel and remember in our own ways where we were when you called us out of the darkness and into the light. And as we reflect on the the number of days, weeks, months, years we've walked with you, we see the miraculous work you've done in our lives, and we praise you for it, Lord Jesus. We praise you. And Lord, we cry out to everyone that's sitting here going, you know what? I don't know if I'm in I don't, I don't it, this isn't resonating with me. I, I, I'm still tired and weary and fearful, and I, I think I'm too dirty, Lord. We pray that, that you would set them free by the power of the gospel. Set them free, Lord. Help them to enter the family of God. We love you so much, Lord Jesus. In your name, amen.